Hello, and welcome to Cinedrunk, the podcast where we're drunk on cinema and alcohol. Brought to you by Cinemunch.com. I'm one of your hosts, Matt, joined by Nathan. Hello. And Elizabeth. Hi. Welcome to our year-end podcast. Welcome. So today we are going to go through our own personal top tens, which, just for the record, we don't know what each other has on our subsequent lists. We might have our suspicions, but... Yeah. will be surprises in store, and then um, in a part two, we'll have our own, we did our own voting system for best actor, actress, act, supporting actress, and supporting actor, mm-hmm. as well as some superlatives, so just bests all around, yes. and a few worsts. Mm-hmm. And a few of course, balanced, as always, right. celebrating the year 2014 in film. Mm-hmm. What are we sipping on, Ooh. Gin we- juice. <laughs> <laughs> Well, um, right now we're having a classic um, warming drink because we're in the midst of yet another snowpocalypse here in (laughs) Ah. New York. Um, Everyone's indoors. No one's on the streets. It could be the end of civilization as we know it. (laughs) Snowpiercer. This could be the start of Snowpiercer. Yeah. Yeah, We We made that joke earlier. You weren't here. Great Um, minds. Yeah. (laughs) Um, so we're just, Less we're stuff. actually just having hot cocoa with peppermint schnapps. Does the body good. Has some milk. Mm-hmm. We have, um, is it Ghirardelli chocolate? It is. Mm-hmm. Chocolate um, caramel. Chocolate caramel. Yeah. Caramel. Yeah. Ghirardelli, Ghirardelli, caramel, caramel. It's all Greek to me. Whatever. Um, get out. <laughs> yeah. So super simple. Um, but but super, you know, Delicious. heartwarming. Cheers. The other thing I wanted to talk about, since we're talking about best of the year, mm-hmm. just wanted to give a shout out to my favorite wine that I had this year, and I'm by no means uh, Afinur. Afinur would be cheese? a cheese agent. Damn it! What's the, Could, the yeah? I'm, well, I'm certainly yeah. not a sommelier, but I I don't really know my wine, but I do know what I like to drink and what I like to put in my mouth. And this, hey. this um, particular so wine, <laughs> this particular wine did right by us. Um, it also went fabulously with cheese, which is a, a major um, point in its favor. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe we had it, well, I know we had it at Thanksgiving. Um, it's from the Terra Alta region of Spain. It's a white, so it's a Spanish white, and it's a mix of a blend of white Grenache and Viognier, which I think is how you pronounce that. I don't know. Sure. Nor do I care, but it's really, um, it has a quite minerally uh, flavor. Um, it's more on the dry side than the sweet side, and it goes with with uh, cheese quite well. And we had it with um, a cheese called Harbison that, is made by the sellers at Jasper Hill up in Vermont, and that's available year-round. You should totally check it out. It's Amazing. like a little brie camembert type thing, so it has the white rind on it, and it's wrapped in spruce bark. It has a little spruce bark girdle. Girdle? Ooh, yes. Um, Appetizing. Yeah. So you can get right on in there. It's such a good and, cheese. Yeah, um, it's crazy good. Delicious. It's so soft, you scoop it out with a spoon. Um slather it on bread or crackers your or your body. finger, your body, <laughs> this is all right. the table, 
and um, family friendly. Hop guys. to it. it. It's it's everything. So anyway, um, it's so this wine from Terra Alta. It's Blanc Barbara Flores, twenty thirteen. Mm. I'll I'll put a little link in the in the post. So there you have it. Those are our drinks for the day. Amen. Amen. So I'm super pumped to find out what both of your top ten lists are. I'm sure we'll have a lot of overlap and a lot of the same things because we have similar opinions. Not always the same, but similar. And we've seen the same batch of films for the most part. <clears throat> Excuse me. There are still several films that we have yet to see for, for the year, um, especially like foreign films and documentaries and things like that. But uh, as of now, these are our lists. Yeah. Pending some rewatches or finding some other things. Orders could change. Things could drop out, but... I haven't seen Winter's Tale yet. <laughs> <laughs> the best film of 2014. I'm sure it'll be number one. <laughs> Obviously. Spoiler alert. Um, but yeah, let's let's get to it. Without further ado, let's start at 10. Who, who wants who, to go first? Who wants to stagger? Well, I can go because I know you'll both be thrilled about this one. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Um, my number 10 of 2014 is Interstellar. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Unless it's choking on vomit. Yeah. And, um... Surprise. At the... That it's not higher or that it's on? No, high? that it made the list. But I do remember that you were high I, on it. I, I was quite high on it at the time. Um, I was brought down by negative people <laughs> after, <laughs> after the fact. He just pointedly at me. Um, no, I just... I, I really... I, um was completely on board and brought along for the sort of uh, existential ride that mm -hmm. it was. And um, I'm a sucker for science fiction anyway, particularly if it's, if it's more science-y and less fantasy-based. Um, and uh, it... It, it still sticks with me. And at the end of the day, like I'm looking for movies that have stick with itness <laughs> to them. Absolutely. Um, where I can still think about them. am still thinking about, find myself thinking about them months later and parsing them for meaning. And, um, and that was this film for me. So unapologetically interstellar number 10. Don't yeah, good for you. I mean, we didn't end up having a podcast on Interstellar, so I'm sure we all have lots more thoughts on it that we don't need to get into, but yeah. I I appreciate that it is on your list, and there were definitely moments that were jaw-dropping and, and awe-inspiring, but when I compare it even just to Inception, which is another, you know, heady, trippy, Christopher Nolan, big-budget, mm -hmm. but original film, I feel like that movie worked a lot better for me as a cohesive statement um and interstellar the heart part of it felt forced yeah. for me and I, so my head was there and i was really intrigued by it and obviously the visuals and a lot of the technical elements were That's stellar right. or interstellar if you will <laughs> um and i won't sorry about that um but it, it didn't stick with me just on an emotional level that didn't necessarily connect besides some key moments that did and I really did like Matthew McConaughey a lot in it well I will say in its in its favor Nathan is I think part of my disappointment in it and the things that really irked me 
irked me more because the parts of the film that worked really did work for me and I thought were great and so then the parts that fell short for me it was like a bigger letdown that it didn't work overall for me personally yeah, yeah. it's almost That's to serious. the film's detriment that I went in with like higher expectations right. and I was a little disappointed right but this is all about positives. Yeah. This is our favorite yeah. of the year. So thanks for um, bringing me down once again. Hey, y'all are no, going to bring down the other one. I was trying to support yours. That I was not actually vomiting. I admire what he tried to do. It didn't totally work for me, but I can see how it could work for other people. For sure. And I'm glad involved. that there's at least <laughs> one movie so far that is not on everyone's list. Yeah. Speaking of movies not on everyone's list, my number 10, and I will just state that a top 10 list is... Personal, it is. It's This is definitely, without question, not one of the 10 best, or even 20 or 30 best films I saw Which last year. Totally but fun. it's just a film that I really enjoyed for some reason, and I was very surprised by, uh, and that is GBF, hmm. um, which is streaming on Netflix. It's, um, I couldn't even tell you much about it, like who directed it or, or wrote it, unfortunately. Should have done some, some research beforehand. But um, it's, GBF stands for Gay Best Friend. It's like an indie like Mean Girls knockoff with more of a queer twist or a GLBT bent. But, and while there are a lot of cliches in it and a lot of the characters aren't necessarily, you know, really fleshed out, the main two characters who are both gay males are just very human and honest. And the way the movie treats the characters is really refreshing, especially because it's kind of trying to be a, a populist. There's a lot of bad GLBT cinema and this is yeah was surprisingly good and super entertaining and quotable and I was so on board by the end it ends like perfectly like in our last podcast which probably won't air until after this uh the romantic comedy bracket we discussed a little bit of my best friend's wedding and how it has the right end or like the correct ending for those characters and I think GBF does the same thing which you would not expect of a film like this and I was very Surprised by that, and it had some heart, and I just enjoyed watching it. And I would watch it again in a heartbeat. Yeah. That is my number 10. Well, it's interesting, because I think we all, ultimately, for our number 10s, I'm curious to see how the rest of our list shakes out. Pick sort of more, like, populist, popcornish movies. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that there's total value in it. You know, so many, oh, like, year-end lists end up being so... I think in a way, you know, it's the same as like if you show someone the music on your iPod, right? You want to have the best list of what will make you look the coolest. Right. Or like, yeah. make you look the most. I only listen to Bone Bear. Yeah, a real cinephile. I, <laughs> I guess that's a couple critic. Yes. <laughs> and critic. And I think that there's value though in movies. So for me, when I was making the list, it was really Always. just movies that excited me in the moment mm-hmm. and that I would want to rewatch. Some of them would be, I would want to rewatch because I don't even know if I understood them. <laughs> some of them I want to rewatch because. But I'm like wary too because it was emotionally taxing for me, and some I just want to rewatch because I enjoyed it and think I would like rewatching it again. And that's definitely this one for me, which is Guardians in the Gal of the Galaxy. Mm-hmm. As I get the title wrong, as usual. These <laughs> 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 schnapps. Um, I just thought Guardians of the Galaxy was so fun. It was so funny. I enjoyed my time in it. I got the I rented the movie and rewatched it, and I laughed. Just yep. as hard, it surprised me in its performances. I mean, I wasn't surprised Chris Pratt was amazing because I've been amazing. watching Parks and Recreation and I know how funny he is. Um, but I was really surprised by Dave Bautista, Groot, 
is such a great character. Bradley Cooper's, Bradley Cooper's voice, voice work is yeah. stellar. The animation. It was just really fun. It's not like the best. So much fun. There's a reason it grossed as much as it did. Right. Because then I also, because people want to go back and rewatch it. I came out of that theater just in such a great mood. And when I watched it again, I was in such a great mood. And there's definitely a place for that. There's a lot of good summer popcorn movies this year. And we already talked about it more in the podcast where we reviewed it. Right. But it also, to me, feels a little bit more like an ensemble than most superhero movies have felt Mm -hmm. lately. Yep. And, um... You know, I thought the, like, whole friendship message was nice over, like, romantic love or, For sure. again, white male savior, so. It was my number 19, I'll have you know. Nice. Mm-hmm. It was not on my list because I haven't seen it, but I'm sure I would enjoy You would enjoy it. it. Yeah. Everyone would. All right, number nine. Should we keep going in the same order mix it up? Let's mix it up. Yeah. I'll go. Um, my number nine uh, is Birdman. Or The Unexpected Virtue of Ignorance. I toyed with not putting this movie on my list because in recent months it's gone lower and lower in my estimation just because I think because of the ending, which we already did discuss in in the podcast when we mentioned Birdman. But so much of this movie is so unbelievably good. Mm -hmm. So many of the elements are just top-notch, including a wonderful ensemble that just won the SAG for Best Ensemble, totally deserved the cinematography, the score, the direction. I mean, just Michael Keaton's performance in general. It's its so good and exciting, and it was such a good time. It was similar to Guardians of the Galaxy. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was such a good time in the theater. We were laughing so much. Oh, it was so, so enjoyable. The time flew by, and it's really bold. It's a bold, daring, sometimes skating critique of the industry, and I did not expect... I expected to like it, but... To have it be directed by Alejandro Gonzalez Inarritu, aka depressive, bleak, depressed (laughs) as fuck filmmaker. It was it was so exciting, thrilling, thrilling movie that needed to make my top ten. And there it is at number nine. I think it's always exciting to not have any idea what's going to happen next, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that's what I. Yeah. One of the things I liked most about it was that... Oh, yeah, I had no idea. Even having this kind of familiar setting for people who have, you know, been in theater or are part of any sort of arts world like Industry, that, yeah. um, it's still just, you know, I mean, there's a sense throughout, and it, it proves itself again and again that it's, it's not going to play by any rules. Yeah, and it's still all. true to... It's but, a vision. But yet it still honest. feels honest. Yeah. And not um, not gimmicky or yeah. like the the long tracking shots right. don't feel like they were just there for the no. sake of being there. They it's it, it's a real vision that Smartly feels made. And in, in complete. Fact, yeah, and in fact I feel like the combination of the, the extended tracking shots with then the screenplay and the performances is I almost forgot about the fact that it was a long tracking shot because the whole film mm-hmm. was so propulsive. I was just like, like holding on. You know what I mean? I was just like... It's so exciting. Grabbing on and letting it take me where it went that I wasn't even thinking about the technical stuff until after I came out and, and thought about it. Right, which is why right after it, I was like on such a high and it was definitely one of my favorites of the year. And then, you know, the more I sat with it, the ending didn't necessarily drive home a point right. that made me appreciate the entirety of it of its statement but still excellent filmmaking that's my number nine well that is 
number, I'll just say it's an honorable mention on mine. It's number 12. It was in my top 10 for a long time, but then other things kept coming in and pushing it out further and further. But I mean, my, I would say especially my top 13 are, were all really close and shifting at various points. So what's your, what's your nine? So my number nine is another experience that flew by for me in the theater and was propulsive and exciting filmmaking for me was Snowpiercer. Snowpiercer is number nine on my list. Um, I just thought it was so bodacious. Totally. <laughs> yeah. Like, I can't really think. Again, I keep going back to that one review I read that was like, it's a fever dream of a movie. And it, it is. So is I mean that scene. There's so many great scenes, but that scene where they open the door and it's all those guys in the masks and they have the like axes and the chains, mm-hmm. and then they turn the lights out. They go through the tunnel and like, yeah. uh, like uh, it's such interesting and inventive filmmaking. Yeah. You know, I mean, those type of action movies are such a dime a dozen in Hollywood that it's rare for it to feel fresh and new and that felt fresh and new to me. Similar to what we were just saying about Birdman, like you didn't really know what was next. Oh, I had like, no idea 100%, what was percent And that was so ex- And it wasn't just like, oh, let's do this because it'll surprise the audience. It still feels like organic and natural to the world of the film. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, without spoilers, that Chris Evans monologue at the end had no idea that was coming. <laughs> Or the end in general. Right. Bold. Yeah. Um, so that's my number nine. So first. Well chosen. Agreed. What is your numero nueve? My number nine is actually Selma, mm-hmm. which um, it, it was hard for me because I wanted, it's a, like a movie I want to rank much higher because I think it was so well directed. Mm-hmm. And I was so emotionally moved by right. it. Um, but, and obviously, you know, it's my number nine of the year. I love it. It's great. Um, I think it transcended um, its own sort of ordinariness as a biopic. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of the directing choices. Uh, helped to that effect to um, kind of bring it to the next level so it wasn't just like right. like all the other yeah wrote biopics where um, it's kind of paint by numbers and and um, instead we get this really human portrait of a man that everyone knows or in a community feels like they in know. a movement it feels like it's more less a biopic than like a movement pick. It's about a specific... Exactly. It doesn't... I guess, in a way, it really transcends being a biopic because it isn't. Right, because it's a phenomenal ensemble. (laughs) Fundamentally, it's... Yeah, phenomenal ensemble. um, Intensely moving. So moving. Important, timely, uh, top-notch acting. The the song at the end... The... um, the song yeah. that's nominated for the Oscar Glory, Glory is perfectly timed, perfectly toned. Yeah. yeah. Um, so much great is happening in that movie. So much. And so I think the only reason that it doesn't rank higher for me is that it does, it still has its moments of feeling um, paint by numbers just because of right. 
the nature of a film like that. There are definitely moments. Which isn't even really, it's not even really like the fault of anyone. It's just my personal preference. I think there are places of clunkiness in the script. Yeah. That come more from out of necessity that it kind of has to be in there. So the audience. So the arc is there. No. And also so the audience just knows who people are. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, because we don't know history well. <laughs> right, or we don't know that like Dylan Hoover. Baker is playing J. Edgar Hoover, so right, exactly. we'll need you to just throw in a, thanks, thanks J. Edgar, J. Edgar right. yeah, or whatever. Yeah. Right. Um, so yeah, I think that's well chosen. All right. I agree. Um, I'll start the next round. Right, we're on eight. Yes, we're on number eight. Um, number eight for me is Ida, mm. um, which is the foreign film from Poland, mm-hmm. it was nominated for an Oscar, and it's so good. It's so good. Um, everything about it, I mean, the cinematography is beautiful, both lead performances, both women's performances are so great, um, and so sort of diametrically opposed in a way that they're, they're playing so off well each matched. other. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I mean, talk about, there have been so much talk about like a week year for women and film and it's a film that's really just a two-hander between these two actresses and they're so good and the story is so intriguing about also sort of you see one character's journey of self-discovery of who she thinks she is and her identity mm-hmm. in her early 20s, you know, very young and then learning that it's not what she thinks, which of course is something I can relate to, and I think all people, not just women, but all people can relate to at the early part of your life. Right. Versus then this other woman and her experience as what she thought she was and where her life was going, and then the disappointment of it not being what it once right. seemed like it would be. Like It's just like really... It's, it's so layered, too, for being such right. a simple film, and it's, like, less than an hour and a half. It's, like, 89 also, minutes or something like that. It's, bravo for understanding brevity. When you have a two-person, like, small personal drama, yeah. it should not be more than 85 minutes. No, it's <laughs> succinct, gets its point across, but it's still incredibly layered. Yeah. And obviously, you it's, like, post-World War II, and there's all right. this history behind just those characters and what they represent. Right what you see, the situations they're in and just the all the background and everything that's going on mixed yeah. with the just jaw-dropping cinematography that, yeah. like, every frame is shot just not how it would typically be. Correct. And that just adds so much also to just the feel and the tone of the film. Right. That really adds to its themes and messages and it's yeah beautiful. and the strange thing about it is how current in a way the film felt that too like it very much relevant. felt like a film of our time and relevant but at the same time if you showed it to me and said it was made in the 1960s i would be like oh yeah i believe like there's a real timelessness absolutely and that's what i mean too to about it. the the layer the layers is that yeah. it's very specific to what it's representing in all its themes but it's so universal at the same time yeah. to different situations that are similar to that it's beautiful. Yeah. And I'm sure we'll hear more about you'll it. Hear, you'll hear more about mm-hmm. it. <laughs> um, what's uh, your number eight? My number eight, dun dun dun, um, is Pride. Mm-hmm. And actually, um, I think this is one of the most underrated movies of the year. Mm-hmm. For sure. Um, I think, so this was... Uh, when was this even released? Early fall? Yeah, like September, October. Um, 
has one of the best ensembles. Um, it's set in um, England and Wales in the 1980s um, about a group of GLBT activists who decide to throw their support into the ring for the miners who are currently under assault from Margaret Thatcher and, mm-hmm. um, and her cronies. Um, but it's, it's so, I remember seeing the trailer for this movie and being so worried that it was going to be sappy and, um, just kind of missing the mark, not, not feeling authentic or honest Mm -hmm. in that sort of way, but it ended up being such a joyful ride while still not sugarcoating anything still feeling real um having authentic characters um it it was just such a joy to watch you know it was just a joy and i think we'll well i know we'll talk more about that as we go on the list but one thing what you said about like the not sugarcoating the lgbt part of it well there's not really the bnt the lng part that's true Mm -hmm. yeah um is it manages to be very frank about the the sexual orientation of its characters and about the experience of being a gay and a lesbian and what that is, but it's also not as you were talking about with um what was the one you're talking about? Oh, with GBF. GBF. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is it's also not sort of alienating in a way either like it's very accessible i mm. think in yeah. that it's not offensive to people who are gay and lesbian <laughs> right in a way that often it's not like pandering movies... to straight right it's not pandering to straight but it's also not alienating like i can feel like i could watch this with like my mom or like a more conservative audience and they would really love the movie too and connect to its sort of universal themes which is a great way you know they say like part of the reason homosexuality acceptance has gone up as people realize like oh i know someone right and, they're and just i feel like, like the movie is a little bit like that too in a nice way that doesn't feel pandering but then they also are like imitation game where they barely even touch on his homosexuality like they downplay it as much as possible and right. then are like but we're about gay acceptance it's like but the movie isn't even about that right this movie is explicitly about accepting people who are different than you Mm-hmm. But in a way that I think is really accessible to everyone, right? Which I thought was nice. And I think related to that also shows their many layers and facets of their being. And I, right. I appreciated so much that it wasn't another gay film where, um, spoiler alert, not everyone dies of AIDS or <laughs> like right. is a murderous psychopath or gets murdered or is like hypersexual is hypersexual right. or entire whose entire world revolves around or shock of shock sex is not or relationship defined, right. shock of shock is not um, defined by this one characteristic yeah it was really about this very specific event that was happening yeah. in the, this country um and how all of these fully fleshed out characters who some of whom had very few lines but still felt real yeah. yeah, responded to it, and it's very much like Selma, which we touched on. Mm-hmm. Earlier, yeah, in that it's a big ensemble, and it feels like it's about an event, but it treats every character and their perspective 
with you know equal importance. Well, maybe Selma doesn't do that with all perspectives, equal importance. But um, which I would like to just say before we keep going with the list, and because it's, we have a superlative for our best ensemble, but in general. This year had really great ensemble films. Amazing. I'm just realizing yeah. as we're talking about it, like Birdman. Um, and not that it's a genre, but it's always like pride. my favorite genre is just actors acting with other actors and you yeah. seeing like the chemistry and the relationship. I, I get much more from that and great performances than I do. Like the script is telling me this or I need to feel this or the director is totally. or the editor is being like, look at this or we're going to play this music I get much more from an ensemble and acting and to have so many strong ensembles this year made it a, a really exciting yeah. and good year in film um, but I also just another quick thing on Pride which I know I'm sure we'll get to on both Elizabeth and my list um, and we can just skip it at that point but um, like Nathan was saying just in terms of like the what we went into it expecting it to be even just based on the trailer it seems like a very basic by the numbers like British period piece, maybe yeah. feel good, like lots of British films are, with a touch of comedy and some wit. But it ended up being more than that. And it was deeper and better. And, you know, it, it didn't, like, push the boundaries of filmmaking or themes or anything, but it was still so solid that it was one of our favorites of the year. And that's ultimately, like, I think that's the reason I can't really separate Pride and Selma in my mind. I mean, I, obviously I can separate them in my mind. No, but mind, it's interesting. But I, I, I inevitably clump them together, and mm -hmm. it's, I don't think it's an accident that they were my eight and nine on my list for those very reasons, because they, they push the envelope um, while still being very accessible, recognizable mm -hmm. story arcs, and yeah. Yeah. Totes. Uh, well, let's get divisive or divisive, as I like to sometimes say. Um, my number eight is Foxcatcher, <laughs> which I know neither of these two yahoos over here liked, but I thought it was exceptional. Um, I was really captivated by this film, and it's so meticulously crafted to the point that it's almost detached um but no, it's, it's detached no yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh for you um but I, I just think everything is like in its proper place in this film it's really confidently crafted and i loved all of the performances i loved the relationships of them i thought everything was very specific and yes the the movie and the performances the script everything is a little drawn out but because it was, it felt like really great literature that the movie was giving me time to process, okay, this shot is framed this way, they said this line and ended with this line and showed me this character's face so that I feel this. And it makes me think that the movie is maybe saying this about America or about haves and have-nots or about the way we want to achieve success or the American dream or... Just so many different layers that were very obvious, and it's not necessarily a movie that you can like interpret this way or that way. It's not very artistically, you know, pushing boundaries. But I thought it was really ultimately moving and really, really, really well done. I will say, in its defense, um, it feels very specifically like the precise movie that Bennett Miller wanted it to be. Yes. In that way, I almost, I mean, I'm still angry about ultimately the director's nominations for Oscar, 
but I can see how the movie itself wouldn't get in because I think that it is so chilly. Chilly that obviously Nathan and I didn't respond to it, which of course is the great thing about film, right? Because then mm-hmm. one thing can really move someone and not someone else. But it does feel like it is the director's specific vision and un- uncompromisingly so. Yes. So I, I respect that. I co signed that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I really just, it, it was came down to personal taste. Right. But I do, I do respect the, the vision. Mm-hmm. And I think it came through in the end for me because of the performances. And I know I'm, I mean, we all really were high on Mark Ruffalo, but I was also quite high on Steve Carell and Channing Tatum. And the relationship of all three was really, really what pushed it to the next level for me. And I think, again, it's a director's achievement, and I'm so glad Bennett Miller got in. Yeah. And that was my eight. Okay, so I think it's my turn to start. So seven for me is Snowpiercer, Uh which we talked about pretty much... I think we said all that needs to be said. Um, I would just say, again, I'm a sucker for any sort of science fiction, especially apocalyptic or um, Mm post-apocalyptic stories or dystopian sort of themes. Mm -hmm. Um, Of course, I'm a little upset that that's become super popular in recent years. Because as soon as something's popular... I it's shouldn't like it anymore. Right. Um, but th- those kinds of themes just speak to my, I guess, the darker sides of, of my views on humanity. <laughs> and and um, what life, like, it, I, I think it's just so, that kind of story can be so revealing of human nature in a way that can be bald at its worst, Mm -hmm. but also just uh, really, um, I don't want to use the word transcendent again, but... We always use that. I know, it's a stupid word. I mean, bald, but... but Illuminating. Illuminating and, um, and really connect you to the material. So anyway, but yeah, Snowpiercer. My number seven. It does not appear anywhere in my top or honorable mentions, but I do appreciate a lot of what the film is doing. For me, it was just a little all over the place. And we discussed this in our end of yeah. summer. And yeah, again, Matt doesn't well. like fun. <laughs> Never. <laughs> well, speaking of a great year in GLBT or just queer cinema, my number seven is Stranger by the Lake, mm. um, which some would consider a 2013 release, but in the U.S. it was released early 2014. Um, That's good because I'm sure some of our some of our listeners were like what? just threw their iPods. <laughs> that their, is a 2013. Yeah. This whole They're list is so a sham. <laughs> well, it is, but for other reasons. Um, it's a French film. It's very explicit and very frank um, for it's mainstream. It's a Frank Franck movie. Frank Franck film. You, um, you went there. She did, and I I like it. I'm a fan. Um, it's really bold, dangerous, exciting storytelling that the, every aspect of the filmmaking, I think, matches it. It's it's artsy, it's gutsy, it's risky. I don't know. It's, and then it also has layers that are very 
telling of AIDS and gay culture and what may scare someone, but obviously the film is is more centered around a, a particular beach or like gay hangout spot and there's a murder and a murderer and you kind of know who the murderer is murderer is but it's still kind of intriguing and exciting and it's it's really captivating and it sticks with you and i think it's one of the best made films of 2014 my number seven nice this was on my honorable mention list mm -hmm. i really enjoyed it um more so by the end, when it was over and I could look back on it as a whole piece, mm -hmm. a whole package, I, I got it more so than I did while I was wow. watching it. And I think it's an interesting one for me because it's the kind of movie that I, it, it's almost, in a way, it's almost like performance art, not performance art, but it's the kind of thing that has such artistic and stylized vision that you could almost see parts of it being in an exhibit in a museum yeah and so just like for example melancholia a few years ago i hated um i still need to watch it again but um for me that kind of movie like stranger by the lake it, i can be so high on or so low on and it's so subjective i love those extremes and mm -hmm. i do i do like those extremes and i think that's a sign of a well-made movie if it can make you feel i mean it's at least making people feel something yeah so i mean and for me i was very yeah yes. so anti-hollywood that's that's one thing i came away with was how you know dialogue based it was um, and natural <clears throat> and naturalistic yeah <laughs> like to be that stylized but that naturalistic in, in right. performance mm -hmm. um, and script which made it also more dangerous really cool. and mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like you were a voyeur and you should not be watching it kind of seedy but not too graphic I mean right. it would be for well, many people quite graphic <laughs> it is, I, was, yes. I was gonna say I think that's one of the reasons it didn't actually make my honorable mentions or my top 10 and I really appreciate what it did but I felt so uncomfortable between oh, yeah. the actual story itself and like the perform you know the performance of the murderer in particular mm -hmm. um but then I was just uncomfortable watching it you know that was my like Irish Catholic Midwestern <laughs> prudishness shining through not that I think it wasn't appropriate or I dislike that it's in film it's just that for me watching it I, I like I would not want to watch it again which is part of the reason it didn't make my list is because yeah it, I mean I probably wouldn't want to watch it again either but I feel like that's almost a point for the film no it yeah. is <laughs> it is but ultimately that's why it stood off my list but I think it's a wise and good and admirable choice I think yeah we wouldn't recommend it to everyone but <laughs> but it's it's not your grandma yeah mom probably not <laughs> no <laughs> that's my number seven what do you have my number seven is Grand Budapest Hotel. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, it uh, first off, I'm a, I, I full confession, I'm a huge Wes Anderson fan. Like I really am. I the first Wes Anderson movie I saw was Rushmore, and it really just changed sort of what I was looking for in movies and my aesthetic. And mm -hmm. um, you know, I grew up seeing very like traditional multiplex movies mm -hmm. and that was one of the first ones I saw that felt really different and fresh and new um so I'm already like a big Wes Anderson but I think he just accomplished something different it just hits all my sweet pots 
The sweet pots and pans. It's a little dirty. It's really not a child-friendly <laughs> podcast. No, it, um, you know, it's a period film, which we all know of period films. It has a great British actor in the lead, which Ray Fiennes makes that movie and gives it a different feeling than any other Wes Anderson movie. It mm-hmm. feels a little different. And, and for once, the story he's telling, because so much of it is told as a story by a narrator, mm-hmm. um, all this sort of whimsy and stylized. Speaking of great ensembles, too. Great ensemble. Yeah. It all feels earned. I just really enjoyed it. And I I mean, this one had the benefit of it. It wasn't originally in my top ten at all. And now it's number seven because I rewatched it. Yeah. Which, again, is why some of these others honorable mentions could change when I rewatch it. But I rewatched it, and I just enjoyed it so much. And mm-hmm. it's so funny. And, again, it's, it feels not unlike Foxcatcher uncompromising in the director's vision for sure it is as Wes Anderson always always is, is. yeah always is mm-hmm. um which I admire so yeah grand booty yeah grand for me booty. that was on my um honorable mention mm-hmm. list and I enjoyed it more than any other Wes Anderson that I've seen mm-hmm. um ultimately he's out well I don't I don't know about always, but so far he's always been a little bit too twee and precious Mm. for my personal taste, but I also respect that. I mean, that's not all he's doing. Mm -hmm. That's just kind of the surface level of it. Um, And particularly with Grand Budapest, I think that was held in check in part by Ray Fiennes and everything else that was going on with the story. So, yeah, I love that. Me as well. Well, also, like, you know, speaking of Ray Fiennes and what he brings to it and his character, there's such a level of, like, performance to his character, right? And how he always likes to be well-maintained and have his cologne and have his thing, which is, like, very much sort of the, like, (laughs) hyper-whimsy, twee vision of Wes Anderson, too, right? Like, this always needing to maintain this very specific aesthetic. Mm -hmm. And yet... Ray finds then also you see what is happening when a man is realizing that that's crumbling and he can't actually maintain it when chaos comes into this yeah. world, which then ends up making this Wes Anderson film feel a little bit more chaotic and the melancholy parts work a little bit more. And I think you're right that that's all down to Ray Fine's performance. Yeah. And, and, and the way know, that character is written too. 100%. And all of this is a great segue into my number six, which is the Grand Budapest Hotel. <gasps> oh. Perfection, Elizabeth. Well done. Um, yeah, cosine. <laughs> that all... is recorded. You saying that? Perfection, Perfection. Elizabeth. Well done. Yeah. Uh-oh. <laughs> Let's rewind and delete that. Um, I'm gonna put it on my yak back. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yak back. Play it on um, the playground. I cosine all of what you both have said. I think. I mean, and all of this is obviously. I think because it's period and you know there's all all these different settings and characters and um i mean it's a fake country obviously that it's it's taking place in but all all of these different nationalities and everything that's involved it it gets to like broaden wes anderson's scope of his aesthetic like you know just the the look of it and the feel of it and it, it really elevates it into seeming like this kind of important post war uh, or pre-war, really, um, story, and there's just such layers, and for how 
how there's so much in this movie. There's so much going on. There's so much to look at, but it still feels very full, contained, and succinct. Mm-hmm. Like it, it has a, a like uh, I, I can't even like speak about it <laughs> eloquently. But it's this also similar to you. It was not necessarily originally in my top ten, and it was so smart of Fox Searchlight to release it in March, let it sit with people, and now it's one of the co-leaders for Oscar nominations. Like. That's incredible. And it also benefited from a rewatch for me, and it's my number six. Yeah. I would say it's like a particularly well-aged cheese, where you get all of these complex notes and everything, you know, all of this stuff is going on, but it's still a contained vision of the cheesemaker. (laughs) And uh, succinct in that way. That is an apt description. I would say it is like a fine... Aged layered cheese. aged cheese um all right so my number six mm-hmm. that we're on is one that i know won't be on your list because you have not seen it uh-huh. my lucy no I'm <laughs> <laughs> my number six is obvious child um with jenny slate i just very recently watched it and i was so blown away like i was expecting to like it but i you know, I thought it would be funny, and I was actually surprised at how much of it wasn't funny. Mm. Um, it is also very funny, and Jenny Slate is a great comedic actress who I think we all know from, you know... Various things. Various things. Yeah. Um, but she's actually... Which, again, I shouldn't be surprised, because just this year, look at how many comedians have like blown me away with their sort of serial comic Depth, turns. Yeah. Um, but the, the film is so very specifically about womanhood, particularly womanhood in your early 20s, particularly, you know, she lives in Brooklyn, and she kind of finds herself at the crossroad, and everyone talks about it as being the abortion movie, which is, it's not minimized, it is a big part of the movie, and it's handled in a adult, mature way. Like, there's never a question in her mind that she's going to get an abortion, And no one ever tells her you shouldn't do this because it's clearly what she should do. But it's also not something that she feels light about. Like, you see the impact that being in that situation, what it is. Like, it just deals with it in a very frank way that I found really refreshing. But it also, it's very, the love story is actually really sweet. She and Jake Lacey. Lacey. Mm. He makes a great foil for her and they have great banter that works as like a rom-com. Her relationship with Gabby Hoffman is so real and honest. Like, it feels, you know, Nora, our good friend, who's, you know, my best girlfriend, actually texted me right after she had seen it, before I had, and she said, you have to watch it, it's so good. And, and of course, I watched it, and I'm, like, reminded of our friendship. You know, it's, it's a real female friendship. Even her relationship with her mother, again, not to give spoilers, but at first the mother is set up as this very, like, sort of demanding... Upper West Side intellectual woman who's disappointed by her daughter sort of meandering through her 20s and constantly trying to get her to um, sort of focus her life. And so she's set up as this like diametrically opposed person. And then they have um, this one scene towards the end that's so beautiful and real. I cried, you know, and which, anyways, it's really, really great. All the performances are great and it just feels very real. And it's a great movie also just about women and what it means to be a woman. Mm. Which, you know, 
doesn't happen all Hollywood's time. always making Not those a dime a dozen. No. I'm, it's no the other woman. Like, it's actually about, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's actually about real human women. <laughs> right. As real characters. Right. Yeah. I am <laughs> stoked to see it and bummed that we should have had it a few weeks ago, Netflix, <laughs> but it like, got lost in the mail or stolen or who knows. Which we ordered a replacement that should have been here happen. a few days ago. Now with the, the weather, I'm sure they just didn't even bother delivering it, but we were unfortunately not able to see it in time for this. Yeah. Yeah, if you have any information about who may be stealing our Netflix <laughs> selections, <laughs> just shoot us an email. Yes, please. And on that note, Nathan, what's your number six? <laughs> My number six is one that I'm... I mean, I'm excited about all of these, but I'm particularly excited to talk about Wild, mm. um, which is another shockingly underrated movie. I mean, yeah. it's getting attention, but the fact that the movie as a whole, as a picture, isn't getting more awards attention is still baffling to me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and sadly, I mean... It's in no small part because it's about a woman and it's female-centric, you know, consciously or unconsciously um, when people are voting. But, um, yeah, this movie, I mean, speaking of a fever dream of a movie, Mm -hmm. Snowpiercer, this is a real, it was a hallucinatory experience, which was such a great way to deal with adapting this source material which i haven't read um obviously heard a lot about it and have friends who've recommended it um but i know that it can't have been easy to adapt for the screen when it's essentially one person hiking through the wilderness (laughs) adapted screen um it's a great adapted screenplay performance by Reese is incredible. Um, Laura Dern makes me happy. Always. Um, and it, it ends up saying, saying a lot, um, which may not be entirely, it may not be saying things that are entirely novel about, you know, relationships and finding yourself and, living in this world, but it's effective. Very. I actually think one of the things that's most effective is that it does have stuff to say, but it doesn't have a thing to say. Yes, mm-hmm. I agree. There's something great. Like, I I can't really relate to Cheryl Strait in that I've never been addicted to heroin. I haven't really? been married and divorced. I know it's shocking. I haven't, left, like, lost my mom. You know, like, all these things. But watching this movie almost felt like therapy to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was like going through... I, I feel more like I experienced the film. Yes. More than passively watching something. It was... I, we use, a, use the word all the time, and it's wrong, and I shouldn't use it, but it really was a transcendent experience in the theater, and that I just lost myself in it, in a way that totally. I wasn't following plot, I wasn't thinking about wasn't like critiquing yeah. and judging it like even some of the best movies that I would like oh right. I like this aspect I, like that. I right. was just with it I was yeah. present yeah. the whole time for this film and I mean it's really every decision that went into the film and I yeah. think that starts with the adapted screenplay which it sucks that that and Gone Girl had two of like the best 
adapted screenplays of the year, and of course they both just missed out on Oscar Yeah, one was written by a lady, and bunch the other of one BS. was about a lady. So. Yeah, so there you go. Strike one and two. And originally um, written by a lady. Right, correct. <laughs> right. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, the performance, every, the, the editing and the sound and just the landscape of, of it really puts you right into the mindset of this character. You're on this journey with her that never feels like, now we're going to cue this music so you feel this so that you're you're right, right. there with her it's just it's showing like you this flawed character who, and she is quite flawed yeah but you still like and dislike her and feel what she's feeling and you're on the journey with her emotionally at every step of the way and it's really moving it sh- it shocked me it really did yeah. not not how much i was moved by it but how much i liked it yeah i and, to be honest i was a little bit not dreading, but it was not one of the ones that was on my top of my list excited to see. Right. One, I'm not... I hated Dallas Buyers Club, so March sure Ballet, did. you know, little strike, March on Ballet. And, and Reese Witherspoon, I'm really not huge on jiggling dramatic roles. I mean, I love her in Election. That's probably, until this, my favorite performance of hers. I mm-hmm. didn't get the Walk the Line love, you know, so I'm not, like... I was not excited to watch her be Reese Witherspoon on screen, and I never felt that. I really was not expecting it to, to like it so much. Yeah, and just how it it drifts in and out of memories and scenes, and the, again, I go back to the music. I think the music is yes. used really well in this film. Just the overall soundscape of the film yeah. is unexpected there have been several other things that we've already mentioned that were just kind of unexpected like snowpiercer and mm-hmm. i don't remember what else we, we said but they were just kind of like you don't know what's going to happen next even though this one you basically know what's happening next or what flashback they'll show you it still feels very spontaneous mm-hmm. in a way that life and memories and thoughts work mm-hmm. yeah i think not only is it hallucinatory but it's meditative yes like you're it's satisfying. Yeah. Which goes Meditative back to like the therapy mm-hmm. yeah. you're talking about, like really brings you along with it. It's a satisfying experience on many levels. So I think it seems clear that it will appear again later on. Probably in this podcast. So Maddie, what's your number? Oh what no, are we, on? we all did number six. So it's you. So it's me. Yeah, your number five. Let's get to our top Ooh, five. I'm excited. This is where really, oh, I mean, these next ones. A lot of the ladies come to play. Um, <laughs> on my list, and for my number five spot, another person comes to play, and that would be uh, Mr. Babadook. The oh. Babadook is number five uh, on my list. Nice. Duke. 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 Thank you. I'll be here all night. Um, you know, I mean, first off, I love horror movies. I love just scary movies, and the Babadook and his design and his movement and the his also sound editing for that yes. character are so great that it was legitimately chilling. So it had some scary moments, but then, um, you know, when we were talking about the horror one, I also love horror films that work on a more psychological level. Mm-hmm. And this actually reminded me in a lot of ways of Rosemary's baby. Yeah. If Rosemary's baby is the look at what happens to a woman psychologically during pregnancy, Mm-hmm. This is a look of what happens to her afterwards as a mother. Right. With a young child. With right. a young child and just a the... A difficult child. Just yeah. the fact that, you know, even in our culture, like, motherhood is always looked at as this, like, amazing thing. 
this amazing thing and it changes your life and you never the, knew how to love before. The maternal instinct comes naturally. And, right. Yeah. Which, I mean, I don't doubt that it's, I don't, I'm not a mother, so I don't mean to denigrate mothers or say that it's not a spectacular thing, but there is, of course, always a flip side and some women struggle with it more than others. Mm-hmm. And the way that this film tackles that, I thought was genius. I mean, to make it as like a body horror film about being a mother mm-hmm. and what that experience is and like. grief. I mean, there's a, grief, a, there's a yeah, lot of there's a lot. There's well. a lot happening in there. I mean, it could be totally read as a thing about postpartum, like, mm-hmm. um, and then it's, you know, it's everything, the direction is very clear. Mm-hmm. Like, the script is great, but the direction is very clear, too. It sets up a very real world. I was very aware of space. Yes. Like, I mm-hmm. could draw you a map of what their house looked like and oh what gosh, yeah. you know what I mean it was like it was just very confident in it's directing by a first time director woman director so it does writer director which gets points for me Jennifer Kent and then the two central performances are just so good stellar the, I don't know how they got that performance out of that kid because he has to be very young so good he has to be very which young which you can usually credit the director and you you can I mean Jennifer right. Kent this is a phenomenally well directed right. film and again, for your first feature film direction to be able to direct and get that performance out of probably a six-year-old child is incredible. And then Essie Davis is phenomenal. Yeah. I mean, it's too bad that this movie just didn't get any, you know, awards consideration like big, right. bigger well, ones. Right, and it had like a video on demand, really, or some sort right. of movie so that like disqualified, disqualified it for, it Oscar, for Oscar. Oscar. Not that it would have gotten there, but. Right, Still. but I, I mean, you know, for a year that people have complained about the lack of interesting lead female performances, hers it's is such a complex so, character that she pulls off so well. So well, and it's, you know, I always like, I talked about this in The Gone Girl with Rosamund Pike, I appreciate when people actually let women be unlikable. <laughs> right, and real. Complex complex. Yeah. And complex and real, and she absolutely is to the biggest extremes in that film. Which is where some of the horror comes from, too. Absolutely. A scary mother. Absolutely. Through part of it, but, yeah. Who you never, that, but you're also rooting for her. Like, right. You want 100%. her to save her from herself, and it's, yeah, I, and that one sat with me. I liked it when we were in the theater, and then the more I thought about it, and the more I thought about the performance, and what was achieved, and I, it really just kept moving higher and higher and higher up my list, so. Indeed, it is my number 11. So it just narrowly missed, but uh, on rewatch or some other things, it, it could hold up. But I really appreciated this film. Yeah, it just it was very very narrowly missed my honorable mentions, mm-hmm. which is really just a testament to how many great movies there were this year very that were satisfying and worth discussion and um, contemplation. And yeah, I agree with everything you said. It was it was great. Mm-hmm. What would be your you check it out. number five? My is it me next? It is you. My number five is Boyhood, <laughs> which um, you know is far and away the most critically acclaimed movie of the year. If you're measuring by simply, you know, critics' top ten lists, I guess. Um, and we saw it way back when. Feels like so long ago. Um, Twelve years or so. I love uh, the director, Richard Linklater. I've I've 
you know, Matt turned me on to his before sunrise, before sunset, before midnight series. So I was excited about this even going in. Um, and it really, again, I, I'm partial to naturalism and simple stories about people living their lives um, without a lot of pretense in the script or, you know, added, uh, added tension, mm -hmm. just kind of crafted tension just to right. be in there. Um, and of course it helped, like, I'm not going to lie. Of course it helps that the, the backstory of how the film got made. Like, mm -hmm. um, sure. I of course question how much that affects my, uh, view of the film. Like, do I, did I rank it this highly because it was made over 12 years and because it was made in this way? And, um, but maybe it doesn't matter. Ultimately, it spoke to me, it resonated, and it's my number five. Yeah, I totally agree. I, For as simple and natural as it is, um, it was very profound to me. It, And not in a way that over 12 years they were like, okay, we, we know our end point is this, we want to say this and this. It just right. unfolded, and you can count that or the gimmick of them filming it over 12 years as strikes against it. But to me, it at every step of the way was an honest, intimate, let's just capture these moments. And that's ultimately what it was, was moments of boyhood, of uh, adulthood, of growing up, of age, of time. And it really, it really moved me. It really, did. and I, it's, it's not a film I cried at in the theaters or after, you know, I, it didn't necessarily like instantly inspire emotions, but it was almost, that's more true to real life and how I experience things. And I think the performances are fantastic. He experiences the, things as a robot. <laughs> sure do. No. Beep bop, beep bop. <laughs> um, yeah, I just, I, I really think this is such a special movie, even beyond, you know, like I just said, even beyond the gimmick, it's a very special movie. I agree with you. It's an honorable mention for me. It's fifteen. Mm -hmm. I um, I mean, first off, I love Richard Linklater, and the Before yeah. trilogy um, is one of my favorite. I mean, Before Before Midnight last year would have easily been in my top five. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, which that and the like examination of relationships, just for whatever reason, resonated with me more, which is why it's only an honorable mention. I think it has great performances, particularly by Patricia Arquette, whose performance I loved. I just found some of the storyline a little pat. I really, I think it partially gets knocked out for that whole middle abusive second husband, abusive alcoholic. Yeah. yeah, which felt a little cliched to me. And for whatever reason, just emotionally, I didn't connect with it as much. But I so admire it, and I'm so happy that there's someone out here, out there, out here. Oh yeah, he's he's Richard Linklater is just over in the corner. Hey, no, but I so appreciate that there's someone taking risks and and not only with just filmmaking and how to do it, but also it obviously was a very personal experience, not only for him but also the actors and everyone involved on it, which it shows. I appreciate it. and the uh, yeah, and the attachment certainly shows. But yeah. just ultimately, it, 
is not one that I was as moved as obviously you were. Mm -hmm. oh, maybe not as succinct as it as it needed to be, but speaking of succinct, my number five, as we've already discussed, is Ida, yes. which is really just exceptional filmmaking. And yeah. we've discussed it already, and if you haven't seen it, I think we've already encouraged you to, to check it out, as you should. It's, it is my number five. Feel good. Yeah. All right, Nathan, it's back to you. What's your number four? Did you say your number four? I went she first. She started. Wow, I am just failing. Um, my number four is Birdman. Mm -hmm. And I feel like... I don't think I have anything else to say. I mean, I said a little already. and um, I think after... I, I really loved it, loved it at the time. And then it kind of faded away quite a bit actually in my mind but then had a resurgence a resurgence a resurgence <laughs> um and again it has some elements of not necessarily science fiction but it has those kind of magical realism mm -hmm. uh strange it has that eccentricity that i love yeah Sure. So, there you go. Agreed. My number four uh, is Pride. And I'm proud to say that it's not <laughs> number four. Um, yeah, I, we've also encouraged you to check this one out. It's really underrated. Again, it didn't push boundaries of filmmaking or storytelling, but it is so solid and so equal into all of it. It's just balanced. It's... Mm -hmm. It's really great filmmaking that, um, it's storytelling. It's really great storytelling mm -hmm. that I could watch again and again, and I appreciate everything that went into it. It's got such heart. Yeah. Um, uh, my number four is Thelma. Mm -hmm. I, I see what you mean, Nathan, about parts of it being sort of messy. Um, but I, for one thing, I was just ultimately so moved by it. Um, right. And its timeliness yeah, definitely affected me as well, and and just the captured. I mean, it really it does focus on on MLK, but um, just the idea of community coming together and the difference, and particularly after the Bloody Sunday incident, how once people really saw what was happening, people who were from different walks of life were inspired to come and be a part of change. You know, I, I just, I, I thought it was great. And I also then think, like you said, the way it was shot, I think the marriage of her direction with Bradford Young's cinematography mm -hmm. really changes it from just being a biopic. I mean, we have seen to varying degrees of success this year with Imitation Game and Theory of Everything in particular, I'm thinking of, where it's a pretty standard biopic. And I think that there are great performances within it. I think particularly Imitation Green has a great script, a really smart, mm -hmm. well-written script. It's um, still sort of by the numbers. That's by the numbers. Yeah. But the direction is sort of the least noteworthy thing about it. Like, it looks like every other biopic film, kind right. of. Right. Like, it's solid, but it's not noteworthy. Right. But the way she lights things, the, like, stark realism of the... And this isn't really giving anything away. It's history of what happens on the bridge the first time that they try to march and 
And it's never manipulative or exploitive. No. Either in terms of provoking you to experience an emotion or in a look at my filmmaking skills or look at what I can do. It's so fitting to to the story she's telling and the emotions that she's trying to convey. And that's ultimately why it feels so timely. And it's like, this is now, even if it was, you know, a situation or conflict that was entirely resolved, which it's certainly not, it would feel, oh my God, this is, I am right there in this situation, feeling both sides, all sides, everything. You're right there. And it's really exceptional. Yeah. I mean, we don't have to talk too much about it because we talked about it before with, um, when it appeared on Nathan's list, but for me personally, David Oyelowo had my favorite male performance of the year. Um, the way he was able to capture both the quieter internal moments and then and there's there is actually a difficulty in being able to capture that charisma and right or you know the the power of his speeches and everything too and he he manages both so beautifully but it was also a, such a strong ensemble right and even people who only really appeared or maybe spoke in one scene i felt like i had a sense of who they were and that's largely the strength of the actors, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I think I said it to you guys when we came out of it. It bums me out because, of course, roles for people of color are so limited for the most part that it's sad to see all these people doing this extraordinary work. And probably right. the work that they'll get after this is, like, nothing. rapist number two on Law & Order. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Like, Or, like, I'm yeah. thinking about Andre Holland, who was so great as one of his, like, right-hand men. And I know is apparently amazing on the Nick, um, the, sh- the star series, which mm-hmm. like good for him that he has that. But then at the same time, he appears to be in that awful looking Kevin Costner movie, black and white as the mm-hmm. like abusive, negligent father. And it's like, right. Because those are the rules for black men are like criminals. And yeah. So anyways, it's such it, an exciting ensemble and an exciting yeah. film that norm- in a way biopics should not feel exciting like that. Right. Not, not necessarily exciting, but, like, it's thrilling. It's sort of stayed and... in nature. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that was your four. four. So who starts with three? Did Me? you give your number four? Uh, I oh, did. Pride. It was Pride. Um, I think I start with three. Yes. My bronze medalist, my number three, uh, as we've already discussed, is Wild. Um, again, I just, I was really taken on the journey and moved by the film and the performances and... Yeah. Everything. It was You're a surprise. Wild about wild. I'm wild about wild. <laughs> what is, is it your? To me now? It is you. Um, my number three is Under the Skin. Mm. I don't even completely understand it. <laughs> I loved it every second of it. Um, and I, I also think you know it's interesting because like Boyhood really resonated with you. Under the Skin really got under my skin. <laughs> you don't say. No, it, it, um, her process, for those who don't know, it's basically about an alien who has come to Earth and puts on this human body, this skin, that looks like Scarlett Johansson, and then she lures men to their death. <laughs> basically. <laughs> basically, yeah. the basic premise. But watching someone who is essentially an outside being then learn what it means to be human but not only human, but very specifically and pointedly a woman. 
A beautiful woman. A beautiful woman yeah. as, as she comes to understand her body and the power of it. Like, it just spoke to me as a woman about how it was, like, almost a way of getting to view, like, how society and women themselves and definitely the film industry sort of view women. Yeah. You know, as this and what that means and the effect it has on men or it doesn't have on men and the sort of additional place put on what it means to be a woman and be in your particular body and be at a certain level of attractiveness and how that is, is different from what it is an experience for a man. And I don't know. It was like really, again, I don't even really completely know I want to watch it again and wrap my head around it. I thought Scarlett Johansson's performance was phenomenal. I think she takes what everyone assumes about her, which is that she's sort of a blank actress and she starts it that way and then keeps building and building. And it's sort of like with her, with just the voice performance, that you're like, oh no, she has so many layers and complexities and she's actually a very subtle and natural actress, mm -hmm. um, which I think she was in Lost in Translation too, which is the first role I really saw her in that I like totally got on board Scarlett Johansson. Right. It's like her Hollywood beauty cast her typecast her almost right which that, that knowledge also then plays in so well to under the skin the because yeah. it's her sort of dealing with the fact that she's in in this particular body and what that means about how people react to her and her own experience then to herself and her looks and anyway i loved it yeah i love that movie too and i think um another another important point about the movie is that so much of um, the extras, so many of the extras in the movie were just random people mm -hmm. on the street who had no idea they were in a movie. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, that kind of plays into what you're saying about to like the Hollywood's <clears throat> view of, of female sexuality and the female body and also like particularly men, but also the general public's kind of obliviousness to what's going on behind the scenes. Like, mm -hmm. what's going on behind the scenes to create that image? Like, why our culture feels the way it does about, you know... Totally. Like, this is the ideal body. Why is that? I, I don't know. I, no, I agree. I think you're right. There's... And it... That's what I love about this movie that I never would have thought of that. But now that you said that, like it, there are so many layers. It's, it's really, uh, gives you a lot to think about and it's freaking scary. <laughs> I mean, it's not scary. It's not like jump out at you. No, it's distressing. Horror, right? It's distressing. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's traumatizing. Yeah, I'm a little, <laughs> I don't know what it says about me that both the Babadook and Under the Skin are in my top, <laughs> top five. Also, we we haven't posted it yet, but we will eventually. We did a, a looking back top ten of 2004, and I'm realizing that Jonathan Glazer is now uh, in both of my top ten. Yeah, his nice. birth was in my top ten. Similar to birth, I and I'm going to contradict myself when I say this, but I the film provoked a reaction in me, but I didn't respond to it. Fair. To the to the movie, I don't I. And I don't remember what, what movie we said earlier, but, but it could like work in a museum, but it's very oh, high so art. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. very high concept, but simple and abstract. Lots of depth or meanings or layers to it. And I, 
I appreciated it a lot, but I didn't necessarily like it. Which and I almost appreciate it more because it's clearly going to either be a love it or hate it film. Right. And I didn't hate it, I guess. I just I respect right. it more than I liked it and it Which is sort of the way I feel didn't about feature Gordon. in my my top of the year. Hmm. Well my number three mm-hmm. is a little movie I like to call Gloria. Oh. Which I adore. Mm-hmm. And um, this is a this is very much a contentious point as to whether you would categorize it as a 2013 True. film or 2014. Ultimately, we went with 2014 because a we watched it this year, but also the official release in the U.S. was 2014. Yeah. Um, and so since we're based in the U S we're just kind of going with that as like, okay, this is our first real opportunity to see it. So it's a 2014 movie, but Gloria is a, a, a movie from Chile, Spanish language, um, starring, um, a middle-aged woman who gives a brilliant performance. She's in every single frame of the movie and it's yeah. really just about her living her life and the frustrations and the satisfactions and the love interests and um the mad dancing skills that she has (laughs) and it's just it's another film that's just a joy to watch because it, it, it there's there's nothing like there's no fluff it's just it's it's I think it's it speaks to why I like documentary films yeah. so much too, which I I regret that I didn't get a chance to see very many this year or really any. And so none of them are in my top ten list because I didn't see them. But it kind of felt that way that it was so so naturalistic and so kind of um it really just uh following her around in her daily life that it felt felt like that um yeah i mean everyone should watch it i think it's still on netflix streaming but yeah it's a really fascinating character portrait Mm -hmm. it is my number 16 so i also really enjoyed it i think i um love best her performance paulina garcia as as gloria i think she is almost better than than the movie but they're both very good and worth watching and it's really it's kind of unexpected just and it's probably too just because you don't see that many films about a middle-aged woman that are just like she has sexual thoughts and she's flawed no that doesn't happen never but it's just you know it's it's not a character study that you see often or ever and it's not just that but it's done well Mm -hmm. and she's a really lovely character too it's it's really well, it is nowhere on mine, only because I have not seen it. I had wanted to see it, but now hearing you guys talk about it, it is moved quickly up my list of films to see as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, let's get to our runner-up. What's your silver? My silver is wild, mm-hmm. and nice. I don't think I need to talk much more about it. I already did in the experience that I had watching it. Yeah. Wild all the way. And it was mm-hmm. a very close number one for me. And we clearly all agree it was on all three of our lists. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, me? It is you. My number two is Under the Skin. 
<gasps> which all I will say, I mean, I agree with everything you just said last round, Elizabeth, but I think I'm learning about myself with this top 10 that um, I enjoy the kind of high risk, high reward type mm-hmm. movies mm-hmm. where like there's a chance that I will hate them mm-hmm. like melancholia <laughs> even depending on the day um yeah, yeah. but like when it Moody works when it. and even even under the skin it much like the babadook for me it, it didn't fully set in until after mm-hmm. i had yeah, finished it and went about my daily life and it just stayed with me mm-hmm. it's injected impregnated into my brain yeah i love that um it's beautiful it's just words so to describe. Describe. yeah yeah um so apropos of that mm-hmm. yeah love yeah. and so then hubby i think we're back no, to it's my me. silver oh. medal oh, <laughs> excuse me <laughs> no you know okay. the end bye um barely this i my number one and number two I could switch depending on the minute and the second, but uh, is Selma. I was so incredibly moved by this film, and I Agreed. and it's not just that I cried. I cry at like every film, like that's except for Twelve I, Years a Slave or Boyhood. Or Boyhood. Yeah. Dry eyes. <laughs> no, I cried at Twelve Years a Slave, please. Um, but I, it was one of the most powerful films I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. And not just the power to move me or make me cry, but it was just, it's important and not just that it's relevant, it's just important storytelling. Mm-hmm. And again, not just subject, but it's just, well, it's well it, done. Yeah, I think it also has a lot to say about the human condition in general. Yeah. And no one is painted as a totally one-sided, yeah. like everyone seems complex, everyone's, you know... You understand that at their root, people are just people. Yeah. Kind of trying to do their best. With different prerogatives and right. wishes and thoughts. And it's it's really incredible. It really, I mean, it's narrowly not my number one. Like, narrowly. Yeah. Uh, the second we're done with this, I'll probably put it in my number one. <laughs> but it's, I was very, very, very impressed with this film. Very cool. I didn't know Selma. Number two. So now, Drum roll, please. You are first. I'm number one. Your gold medal. Well, number one of the year, 2014. My favorite movie, not only of this year, but of the past number of years. Uh, my number one is Ida. And we've already talked about it. Um, but I think the number one reason for me... It really, it just kept, like, this is totally a personal choice uh, as far as why it resonates so well with me. I think I'm the kind of person who loves short stories, um, short nonfiction, mm-hmm. um, really concise paintings. I mean, like, concise paintings. I love a concise like, painting. <laughs> simply, a like, pocket painting. I, <laughs> I enjoy like when someone gets to the point and gets to the point and uses simplistic, not simplistic, but like poetry that uses the the minimum number of words to get across the most amount of like the biggest message or impact. 
Yeah, I mean, it, it, there's not a wasted anything in this movie. No, absolutely. And, um, the, and it says so much, and it, and it depends so much on what you bring to it, mm-hmm. too. Um, because it is, I mean, it really is talking about the war, but it's, because, so there's that whole thing, too, which we didn't even really talk about, but it's also talking about um, finding yourself and what you're, vocation might be and your place might be in the world um what it means to have a family what it means to have a nationality Mm -hmm. um what culture even is Mm -hmm. and i think it's the perfect uh kind of like united point of emotion and technical prowess and visual art um it's just exquisite yeah and i love that it featured on all three of our lists and i love what you said about just that you bring to it what you know or what you have because i don't think any any of us really knows that much of the history of poland post world war well, clearly, <laughs> you were there. <laughs> but, like, we don't know, like, what clearly the main, like, A line of the themes are of, like, right. you know, being Polish in this place at this time specifically. We we can't necessarily relate to that, or even, I don't even know, like, that much about that specific anything. Right. And I still was able to get so much out of this movie. Agreed. An amazing choice, as we all agree. I'd also like to say, before we find out what your number one is, Matt, Mm -hmm. I just enjoy that, you know, contrary, again, not that the Oscars, Best Picture nominations are the end-all, be-all, or anything, but I appreciate how many of our films feature and are explicitly about women. Mm -hmm. It feels like a pretty even spread. Like, just now I was looking over my list, and five of mine, it's about a female protagonist, or multiple female protagonists. Which I just that's appreciate. A terrible segue to my number one, but <laughs> just, that's neither here nor there. Whiplash. My oh god no. My number one again narrowly and FYI during this podcast earlier I like wrote arrows to swap my number one and number two. Uh, so that's how close it was between Selma and my number one, which is Boyhood. And there are many. Not many, but there are definitely things that stand out to me that I don't like about the film or that don't work. And I can see all the complaints of it's boring or it's too long or it's just that there's nothing. It's too personal or intimate or has nothing to say. But it's when I look back at 2014, I know this movie is going to stick with me. I think it's going to stick with the culture of people who devour film. I think it has a lot to say. And I really, my my heart is with how much heart this movie had put into it. It's, it's profound in its simplicity, which is kind of a theme with a lot of the films that, that this past year, mm-hmm. including your number one, Ida. Yeah. And that's my number one, Boyhood. Um, and, you know, well, what you said is obviously the number one should be the one that ultimately just affected you the most. Mm-hmm. And for me, the one I enjoyed the most, I got a lot out of it. I think it's such a great movie. Was Pride, and I almost didn't. I almost didn't put it as number one because it almost feels 
light. Light? Yeah. But I think there's no reason that I shouldn't have a light move me as my number one. Yeah. Especially since under the skin and the Babadook are also my And Selma, you know. Even wild. Mm-hmm. The rest of my top five is pretty, he- pretty heavy. Um, <laughs> I, but I was just so moved by Pride, and I enjoyed watching it. It's a movie, again, I literally watched it two and a half times in a row, like back yeah. to back. I just enjoyed it so much. Amazing ensemble. And the other thing that I think was a big point of the film, and it was coming off of, you know, I went to college in St. Louis, and I have a lot of friends who have been experiencing Ferguson very personally. Mm-hmm. I have friends who live in specifically, like, have family restaurant in Ferguson. Like, right. Um, and it came kind of right after that, and then right before the Eric Gardner thing, and all the protests. And there's that beautiful little scene where Mark, the, like, leader of the lesbians and gays group, is talking with Patty Constantine, and he says, you know, it just doesn't make sense to me how you can worry so much about your own group and their struggles and then have people who might be different from you but have similar struggles and are similarly oppressed and not feel a connection and and an empathy. Mm -hmm. And I think just the overall message of the film is one of such empathy, which seemed missing and it seemed missing in my own personal life. So when I watched it, it was such a release and relief. It is, yeah. That, for me, that movie is the one that ultimately is, like, going to resonate with me the most because it was uplifting. It meant something. Such a happy pick to end on. I know. It's great with you. All right, well, we are going to take a little break. This is part one. Mm -hmm. As should you. You probably are, like, (laughs) asleep in your pants. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And then... Lunesta, this podcast, no. Um, <laughs> and then the next one will be Breezy, Beautiful, Have, have a Girl, girl. Um, with our superlatives and acting races. Stay tuned. Bye.